and you're listening to the News Agent Podcast. I'm C.A.D. Caton, the Head of Content here at Goodlord. Today we're joined by Ben from Reposit and we're going to be talking about demystifying tenant deposits, choices and trends. So do you want to kick us off, Ben, and uh, tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, Sophia. It's great to be here again on the Goodlord News Agent Podcast. So about myself, well, I suppose you could describe me as a an agent, a landlord, and a tenant all in one, in the sense that um, my first business that I started was a, a rental marketplace for sort of students and expats. It was actually an international marketplace. So I suppose that's my agent experience. And then I am actually a landlord and a tenant. So I actually live in uh, a rented property, but I also have properties that I let out as well. So I cover all bases. And of course, um, now in the role at Reposit as CEO there, uh, we're heavily involved in uh, the deposit market, offering a leading deposit replacement product for the UK. Um, and so we work very closely with agents and landlords and tenants across the country, including Google, of course. <laughs> and um, if you're a tenant, a landlord and an agent, you're basically a triple threat then. You've got everything. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I like to think of it as I can see everything from all perspectives. Um, yeah, so there's lots of lots of discussions, discussions and topics, and uh, I think it's it's useful to to have that viewpoint. So the Competition and Markets Authority recently announced that it would review consumer protection for tenants. What what does that mean in terms of deposit alternatives? Yeah, sure. Well, the CMA is updating their work um, that they're doing in the housing sector, <clears throat> so that obviously encompasses house building as well as issues and uh, topics in the rental market and the rented sector as well. Um, the CMA, obviously their goal, their mission as a, as an entity is to promote the effective functioning of markets for consumers, for businesses and the economy at large. So they're looking really to weed out any sort of market failures, um, to ensure that, uh, the economy is, is performing optimally. And they, as I understand, they have a prioritization framework, which, um, governs sort of what they need to look at. And it has to be, you know, relevant and impactful for the wider economy. So they they look at things that are going to affect a lot of people. And of course, housing is definitely one of those topics. So there's something that the CMA have been looking at for a long time. And I think given the supply issues in the market at the moment um, that we're facing and hearing a lot about in the news, that is something that has piqued the interest of the CMA. Of course, um, you know, housing affects pretty much everyone in the economy. There's a lot of issues at the moment with supply of housing, rent price increases, obviously in the backdrop of the macroeconomic picture with with inflation and so forth. And so the CMA are, are taking a particular interest in it, in it at the moment. Um, and they've def- they have actually identified you know five particular areas that they're looking into in the private rented sector. And as you mentioned, one of those is um, actually the deposit replacement uh, market and deposit replacement products. What do you expect the outcome of this to be? Yeah, well, they haven't. What they have said so far is that they are um, updating their guidance for for lettings agents. That's that's the intention that they've set out, which I certainly think you know is a good thing. I think to a certain extent, you know, why have they picked uh, deposit replacements to look at? I think it's because they are becoming more prevalent. Um, so in some ways it's very validating, you know, it was often, you know, previously a, a bit of a seen as a bit of a niche product and often misunderstood and so forth. And we're actually definitely seeing 
uh, a growth and increased prevalence of the use of deposit alternatives and deposit replacement products and tenancies. So, as I say, I think it's very validating that the uh, the CMA are, are taking interest in looking into this space. And what they've said so far is that they will they plan to update their guidance uh, for lettings agents. So, I think that will be useful to perhaps give you know obviously better official guidance about these products. Obviously, we know that the government has update been updating the how to rent guide um it was updated in march and then just recently as well um and actually it's the first time that the how to rent guide actually talks about uh deposit alternative products and we see in there that it's strongly recommending that agents landlords and tenants make sure that they're using an fca regulated product so it may be that the cma are are looking into that more closely and they may sort of echo that guidance um that's been added into the how to rent guide but also just to to kind of you know inform better the market as a whole on on how and you know why to use these sorts of products beyond that we don't know yet you know if they if they're going to take any follow up actions or further investigation or something like that we're not sure. I mean, all they've said so far is that they're planning to update their guidance for agents. And it's interesting how it's become like so much more important, isn't it? And you were kind of touching on the fact that you've seen the use of this increase a lot. Do you think there's any particular reason why it's become more popular for deposit alternatives? I mean, I can certainly talk with respect to Reposit uh, in particular. I think from from our perspective, Reposit was actually founded in 2015, which... Uh, I still think is yesterday, but apparently it's eight years ago. And, uh, you know, so we're actually the, the first and longest standing deposit alternative product uh, in the UK market um, and today a market leader. And I think that position, you know, what does that mean? Why is that significant? Well, we came at this from quite an innovative standpoint. We, we wanted to create uh, a more efficient product that served every stakeholder in the rental process. So, you know, agents, landlords and tenants alike, you know, how can we reduce friction from the rental process and create a better product, a better solution for this market? And, you know, we set about doing that and it took a long time. It took a long time to get the structure in place. You know, obviously we're a regulated product to to get the FCA authorization and so forth. And it actually launched in June 2018. So obviously we incorporated towards the end of 2015, but it's, you know, still a good good couple of you know two and a half years or so um to get that in place and we spent a lot of time really thinking through the product and the challenges and the the opportunities and how this product should really look and perform and we like think we came out with like a very good product but it certainly faced skepticism in the market initially and i think that's just because cash is cash you know it's been done you know that way for years why question it why change it and so we very much had to prove through showing and doing rather than just kind of telling and having a sort of easy ride from the start and and so i think you know the the story of reposit has been one of like a a slow but steady build and now we're we're sort of getting to a bit of a tipping point where a lot of people in the market are using these products and actually seeing the value and and therefore they're becoming you know more and more prevalent that that's certainly from our perspective you know and i do know that there are have been changes such as the the tenant fees act you know obviously impacted the revenues that the agents could make and 
Reposit is actually a compliant way that uh, agents can generate commission um, as well. So, you know, that did drive a lot of interest in 2019 as well. But as I say, it's it's more been a, a kind of journey of really, you know, proving why this is better. And And now we're in the great position where we've actually got the data and we've analyzed 20,000 tenancies that have had reposit on them and have actually ended um, now. And what we found from that was really, really interesting. So 56% of those tenancies ended without any charges um, owed by the tenant uh, at the end of the tenancy. So, you know, your standard kind of, okay, everything's fine, check out and, and done. But in 14% of those cases, the charges owed by the tenant were actually more than the five weeks allowed for by cash deposits. So what do, they, what do those two statistics tell me? Well, basically, 56, 60% of the time, cash deposits are not necessary. Um, so they're actually just creating um, an unnecessary friction and burden, which of course has a cost to everyone. It has a cost to tenants because, you know, if you're locking up five weeks worth of rent, a cash deposit scheme, you're not going to earn interest on that money. You know, you've got to find that money at the beginning of the tenancy. You know, it's quite a big burden during a move, which is a very expensive time uh, for people anyway. And for agents and landlords, it's administration, it's compliance, it's risk if you get it wrong, you know. And of course, you know, if deposits were lower or lesser, then... um you know, landlords would have lower void periods and uh, more, dem- even more demand for their properties. So, you know, that friction is there with cash deposits. And and what our data showed was that actually 56% of the time it was it was completely unnecessary friction. But then in 14% of the cases where it is needed, it's not enough. And so we have built Reposit's products to reduce that friction massively. For everyone, you know, so it's a seamless process for agents and landlords to actually, you know, set up and create a deposit at the beginning of the tenancy. It's obviously a much lower financial hurdle for tenants. But then when actually it is needed, you know, when things do go wrong, we're there to be able to provide eight weeks worth of cover, which is actually 60% more than a cash deposit um, will offer to properly protect the landlord in those instances. So basically, uh, you know, to sort of circle right back to kind of why are these being used more? Why are they becoming more popular? We do think that this is in many ways a better solution for the market. And I I think that that's, that's definitely been driving a lot of the demand. What you're saying is incredibly interesting about the fact that 56% of people cash deposits are unnecessary. So do you think that's kind of challenging the original conceptions around deposits? And do what what have you found are like the main misconceptions that you've seen that are being challenged? Sure. I mean, one of them, you know, is is very prevalent is that cash deposits are free. You know, they're free for the landlord, they're free for the agent, they're free for the tenant. You know, I do think that's a misconception because especially now, um, it might have been easier to believe that in, you know, the last few years where interest rates have been basically 0%, right? But now we're seeing interest rates back up at over 5%. There's 4.5 billion pounds around that, um, you know, locked up in cash deposit schemes across the country. You know, 5%, that's 200 million a year that's, uh, that's lost basically, you know, it's not going back to tenants pockets. So that, that's certainly not free, um, for tenants. And also, um, from other, another survey that we conducted, we found that over 30% of tenants are actually having to borrow money to fund their cash deposit. So, you know, for 30% of tenants, you're actually having to incur an interest cost as well as almost like an opportunity cost of not being able to invest that money or put it in a savings account. 
so absolutely not free and of course for agents and landlords we just discussed you know the friction that those that create you know the extra administration the time the compliance the risk that is not a you know that has a cost you know and that has a real world cost so that's definitely one misconception that we come up against a lot that it's that it's free i think the the other misconception that we come up against is that you know if a tenant can afford a cash deposit you know if they can provide a five weeks rent cash deposit then it's somehow validating the fact that they can afford to rent the property and it shows them to be a better quality of tenant we certainly dispute that number one based on our data which shows that actually the vast majority of tenancies uh, with deposit end without any charges owing at the end of tenancy but also because just because a tenant can provide a five weeks cash deposit doesn't mean that they can really afford it. You don't know how they've got that money. Did they borrow it from friends, family, credit card, overdraft, you know, um, which as we've seen a lot of them do. And of course, we always recommend that it's best practice to conduct proper third party referencing on your tenants to really establish their level of affordability and their sort of quality, if you like, quote unquote, as a tenant. And that's certainly a more robust and better and fairer way of assessing tenant quality. And of course, with Reposit, in order to be eligible to use Reposit, you must pass third party referencing. And if you don't, you must be able to provide a guarantor. So following sort of market better practices there. And that's really, you know, how we recommend that, you know, tenant quality, if you like, is assessed rather than whether they can pay a cash deposit or not. Yeah, and that makes sense. There's actually there was actually some new rules in Northern Ireland, wasn't there, earlier this year? And I was wondering what you made of those new deposit rules. Yeah, absolutely. Um interesting you, you bring that up you know we've uh, actually recently launched in northern ireland so deposit is now available there partly as a result of that but partly also because we've just wanted to uh, to operate there for for a long time i think these rules are just really aligning um northern ireland's uh, regulation practices you know with the rest of the uk i think prior to that it was very common for landlords in northern ireland to take a, an eight-week cash deposit which can be obviously a huge burden and create a lot of friction to access the housing, affordability, obviously all these really big and important issues. So I think the government there, you know, sorry, the government has and the legislation has been uh, to really, you know, align with best practices that we're seeing across the rest of the UK and kind of reducing the cap on cash deposits, making sure like proper information is being provided to tenants, making sure those deposits are being properly protected. So if, if they are, um, you know, taken. Um, and, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important changes that are being made there to, to bring Northern Ireland into alignment with, with the rest of the UK. Yeah. And then, um, and not just the UK, but for England, obviously, something huge is coming up is the Renters Reform Bill. And although it hasn't passed through the parliamentary process yet, and a lot of it is still up in the air, what do we, what do you foresee will happen with deposits under the Renters Reform Bill, if it does get into place in England? Yeah, um, it's a really interesting point. I mean, we obviously have this idea of lifetime deposits, uh, which, you know, when I first heard of it, I think my initial reaction was that it's got a bit of a branding problem because that's exactly what tenants don't want to do is they don't want to lock their money away for a lifetime. Um, you know, that's the whole problem. Um, I think that that idea was sort of banded around a bit and they were doing some investigation looking into what, what could be done there. But in the, reform bill white paper that we saw come out in summer 2022 they basically shelved that idea uh, in favor of observing developments in the uh, private market 
i.e. deposit alternative products. Um, I think, you know, government have seen um, and noted the development of deposit alternatives, and they do see that actually this could be a great solution. I think the government can be in a slightly tricky position uh, when it comes to deposits, because, you know, if they do something that helps tenants, it's usually bad for the landlords. If they do something that helps landlords, it's usually bad for the tenants. So it's a bit of a zero sum game. And how do you break out of that? Well, it's very difficult to do that with regulation. Um, but what you can can actually help is is actually innovation. Um, and, you know, that's where deposit uh, replacement products come into play. Um, and I think the government have acknowledged that this is a, uh, you know, an interesting innovation, an interesting progression in the market that does actually present a valid and viable alternative to, to the market. And if you look across to the US, um, at the moment in the UK, it's mandatory that uh, a cash deposit option is offered alongside a deposit alternative option if you know, if a deposit alternative option is going to be offered. So there must be a choice. The tenant must have the ability to choose between cash deposit or a deposit alternative freely. In the US, they've almost taken that a step further and they've said, actually, you have to offer a deposit alternative product alongside cash because of the benefits that they've seen um, with regards to affordability and so on and giving people more choice and, and more options. And I think it's interesting, you know, to talk about that because in the context of the CMA review, obviously the CMA is there to promote healthy competition and variety and consumer choice. And I think deposit alternative products, deposit replacement, they are very much pro consumer choice. And so I think the best future for them has to be, you know, very much kind of supported, but, you know, within a regulatory framework that that kind of weeds out any sort of bad practice or, or, or mis- misuse, as it were. I mean, that's a really interesting way of looking at things. And I guess like it's almost like we're taking inspiration from America. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I just not in every case, you know, I'm not, <laughs> absolutely not saying that uh, it's sensible to do that in all cases. But I just thought it was an interesting observation. It's not everywhere in the US, actually. It's just certain states that have mandated this. But it is an interesting development. And you sort of think, well, you know, why not? Is it not uh, an issue? Affordability, you know, at the moment, especially with the rising rents and so on. And are deposit replacement products not a good solution to that you know and if you are looking at you know improving access to housing and affordability this is actually quite a good way to do that i guess um a lot of it comes down to tenant choice and giving them as many options as absolutely possible and on the on the back of that although it's not renting what is your sort of thoughts on the idea of 100% mortgages for example do you think we'll see more solutions come to market to help renters and first-time buyers to get onto the property ladder? Yeah, it's an interesting point. Obviously, a development in the wider housing sector, it's not necessarily my area of expertise. And obviously, we're getting into something quite different here because this relates to lending and, and debt, uh, whereas you know deposit replacement products are very much not that. So, so they're actually an option for tenants to actually not have to get into to further debt. So it is quite different. Um, and of course, when you think about lending and debt, you're thinking about the the credit market and credit cycles and, you know, 100% mortgages. Well, on the one hand, it feels a little bit like, is this a return to 2008, you know, with the financial crisis? And, you know, are we at 
just at that point of the cycle again and and this is just going to blow up and 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 we'll be back where we started but you know on the other hand i think you need to look into the details of these products and there's been a lot of work and innovation and, and businesses um working on this point that actually the ability to provide a deposit so typically mortgages are sort of assessed on sort of a loan to value ratio so like okay you know how much is the buyer actually putting up up front in order to acquire that property and typically banks will be more favorable you know to buyers that can put more up front but i think the the work that's being done is sort of showing that that's not necessarily the way to assess affordability in the best way and it's it's better to look at okay actually what can someone afford on a month to month basis you know and so if they can actually afford to service a loan of let's say 200,000 pounds and their property that they want to buy is 200,000 pounds then why shouldn't you be able to lend them that full amount of that money so that they can actually uh, buy the property and seeing that they can afford to service that loan so kind of what's what's the problem with that well nothing actually you know and if that assessment is done correctly and sensibly then i see that as a good a good innovation i think we do have to be a little bit careful though with house prices and you know how robust that particular individual circumstances are because obviously when you're taking on debt you are also taking on a level of risk and if house prices turn down you could sort of very easily start getting into a kind of negative equity position and if your you know financial circumstances change personally then maybe you're you're slightly more kind of backed against the wall if you like in terms of like what options you have and and how much more you know what's your financial resilience is is what i'm trying to get at and so i think this has to be done with a good good picture of of that person's not only their affordability but their overall financial resilience but look i think overall like as i say innovation in both rent the rental sector and in the you know sales market is is important and we should we should like consider new innovations and new developments with an open mind you've talked about innovation quite a bit and in do you mean innovation in terms of technology or in terms of new ideas like what do you view innovation as Really good question. We're getting into the philosophy of things here. I know. <laughs> That's a really good question. And what I would actually say, there's a very big difference between invention and innovation. And I think often people conflate the two terms too much. You know, invention is when something completely novel and new has been been found, has been discovered and put together, you know. Um, and you think of those um, major trends in technology, such as, you know, computers, personal computers, the internet, mobiles, you know, all of that good stuff, AI now. Um, so maybe that you could class that as invention. And yeah, that can spark, you know, big trends and changes in, in, in technology and, and the market. But innovation is much more about the incremental, you know, developments of that. Uh, on top of that, you know, that invention, that fundamental fundamental invention. So when I talk about innovation, I'm talking about really like progress. Is it better than what was there before? It doesn't have to be completely novel. It can be reusing, you know, old ideas in a new way, in a new format. But, you know, does it serve the market? Does it create value? You know, is there a demand for that? You know, is it better in some way? Um, so that's what I mean when I when I talk about innovation. And do you think that agents especially are more open to this idea of innovation and innovation through technology now than perhaps they were when Reposit first began? Yeah, I mean, are they? Yes, I think so. Um, do they need to be? Absolutely. 
Um, because in this market at the moment, um, where you, you know, what do you do when you're? It's very competitive out there. Landlords are selling up. <laughs> you know, you you've got a queue of tenants outside your door. You know, how do you get that more that that supply that's needed? You know, you know, there's increasing regulatory burdens. You know, there's uncertainty about regulation. You know, how do you manage that workload? You know, and and thrive as a business. And I think the way that you do that is by embracing innovation, because obviously there are companies out there that are acknowledging these challenges, recognizing them, and building products and solutions to help. And so I think agents must look at this as their friend. If you were to think about building, you know, starting from scratch and and building a, a new agent today. I think the first thing you do is think about what tools you're going to be able to use in your business to make sure you run a super efficient process um, and that, you know, compliance is all completely buttoned up and you have an auditable process. You know, something that, for example, Reposit and Goodlord have w- worked on together is, is an integration where if the agent offers Reposit to the tenant, they will be presented with the choice you know, via Good Lord's platform of a cash deposit or deposit. And that creates an audit- auditable compliance process where we can demonstrate that the tenant has indeed, you know, had the choice of a cash deposit, um, which is really important. And I think these sorts of innovations and developments are actually quite far ahead of regulation at the moment. And so the agents that embrace those changes and those products um, will certainly benefit. And I mean, I guess all of this is at the end of the day for the benefit of the tenant as well. And I guess what sort of trends are you seeing in the tenant space? What we what we certainly see is the the macro economy uh, having an impact on tenants. Okay, so we're seeing tenancy duration uh, extending. Um, so for those tenants that are in situ and they've got a fair deal on their on their property, you know, 12 months ago or, or whatnot, they're looking out there in the market and they're seeing prices and, you know, what they would need to pay to move and so forth and the costs of moving. And they're saying, I think I've got quite a good deal actually at the moment. I'm going to stay put for now. So we've certainly seen that have an impact. That, that's been, I think, the most notable, notable changes. I think we have seen a strong demand for uh, our product. Um, and I think in a in a market where you know interest rates are that much higher, the the cost of cash deposits is basically increasing for tenants. Um, so that certainly helps um, fuel demand. But having said that, we've we've always seen a strong demand um, amongst tenants for the product. So it's it's not actually you know a notably um, significant difference at the moment. Obviously, there are topics coming out on pets and lets and things like that. I think that's more of an aftermath of uh, COVID, you know, which is which is very topical, and and that is certainly on people's minds a lot. I've certainly got lots of friends who have ended up with you know two cats and a dog <laughs> after the COVID experience. You know what what used to be done um, with pets, and what's still done in other countries across Europe. You know, is if a if a tenant has a, a dog or a cat or what, whatever it may be, they're asked for a slightly higher deposit. Um, now in the UK, you're not allowed to do that. But actually, you know, taking a deposit alternative product that you know offers the landlord slightly extra protection is a good solution. And then we're seeing these ideas around you know pet insurance and so on. But I think you got to think about what's the most important thing day and age. It's, it's access to housing. Which would you prefer? You know, not allowing a or not enabling a tenant with a pet to rent a property because of 
the landlord's not allowed to take a higher deposit or actually finding a way for them to be able to do that. Those are important issues at the moment. And so what else have you noticed about, you know, trends in the build to rent sector, for example? Build to rent is obviously, when we talk about housing and house housing supply, it's obviously a great way to um, bridge some of that gap. It is, you know, there's been a lot of investment in the UK built rent sector over the last you know, decade, really. And it does take quite a while to bring these new developments to the market. Planning process and financing process, you know, it's a, they're big projects. Um, so it's not a quick win, but certainly, you know, it is a good solution. And, you know, especially in big city centres and so forth. And they do tend to provide a really great quality of accommodation and service. And, you know, we, we work with a number of big build to rent partners and they really think of their tenants as customers, as residents, you know, that they're there to kind of look after them, to deliver a great service. They measure resident satisfaction, NPS, and they're really involved in that. Um, they have ma- maintenance people on site. So I think it's a great quality product. Um, and, the, you know, the more that we can see of that and, and you know, the more of these sorts of projects that can come to fruition, I think is, is important. And of course, agents are looking at this sector as well with increasing interest because, you know, um, many agents are appointed to, to lease up these new developments that have come to the market. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great solution if you can work with a build to rent provider and they have 200 units to, to let. Um, that's certainly going to help, you know, give you the supply you need to satisfy the demand that you're getting from, from tenants. So build to rent is definitely um, an interesting product and something that is certainly growing, has been growing and will continue to grow, I think, in the UK. And a lot of these government regulations that have been coming out have certainly squeezed, I think, the private landlord um, and perhaps pushed towards greater professionalization in the industry. We're seeing a lot of landlords, you know, creating companies and, you know, managing larger portfolios of properties through companies um, and, you know, build, you know, more demand and and uh, more build to rent developments being sort of uh, authorized and so forth. So it does certainly seem like the government may have been trying to professionalize more the private, the supply of housing in the private rent sector through these policies, although, um, as we've certainly seen, I think that's probably gone too far and uh, they might be shooting themselves in the foot. Again, and I guess on the back of those like important issues and those frictions, I guess my last question for this would be, what tips would you recommend to share to avoid any disputes when it comes to deposits for both tenants and agents and landlords? Yeah, good question. I think, you know, it's just going back to the basics, isn't it? It's, you know, get a good inventory done at the beginning of tenancy. And, you know, again, this is, I mentioned, you know, new products and tools and technologies that can help. Yeah, it used to be a very laborious process, you know, let's be honest. And a lot of landlords and agents didn't do it for that reason. Um, You know, as I said at the beginning, you know, 60% of tenancies, you know, end without any charges anyway, you know, you could take your chances. You know, it's almost quite a rational decision, um, but it it doesn't work out well when things go wrong. And that's, of course, when you need it. So there are great tools, inventory software tools now that make that process super easy, super quick, super cheap, you know, that agents can benefit from and they should be, of course, using. Um, make sure referencing is done properly. You know, um, third-party referencing companies, specialists can really really help there they can give you a lot of efficiency um you know there are great technologies coming out now like open banking and so forth that can really help give a good picture of um of your tenants affordability and that's 
um, is so important. You know, there's a there, we have seen. You talked about trends earlier. There has been a bit of a rise of of tenancy fraud. Of course, as rents are escalating, there's more people that just don't have a choice. You know, and they need somewhere to live, um, and that that puts a lot of pressure on people and causes them to do things that perhaps they otherwise wouldn't. So, you know, get good referencing. It's like worth, it's worth the investment, you know? And then of course, during the tenancy, stay in regular communication, be responsive to your tenants, check in every, you know, you know, every three months or so just to make sure things are running smoothly. And, and it's not, it doesn't have to be a formal process. It's sort of about building that relationship with your tenant. You know, I always think that you've got someone as a landlord, you've got someone living in your property and, you know, you should have a good relationship with them. You know, it shouldn't always just be formal and difficult, you know. Um, so try to build that relationship. Um, and of course, being responsive to their questions and needs is a really good way to do that. Um, and then, of course, at the end of tenancy, the checkout report, again, the inventory tools um, will help you with this as well. But just so that you have that really watertight, you know, image at the start or finish you know and how things are so you can compare and any dilapidations costs can be settled properly and you know even those things just make all the difference and i think it's just all best practice and if you can do conduct the checkout process with both the landlord and the tenant present or the agent and the tenant present so that any issues can be identified on site even if you don't know how much they're going to cost to fix at that moment you know, at least just saying that's going to need a repair job and we'll get a quote for that, you know, it means that it's not going to come as a shock, as a surprise to the tenant. Um, so really following these sorts of best practices is uh, would be my my tips. Amazing. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. And um, yeah, thank you for a very interesting discussion. Thanks a lot, Sophia. Great to be here. Speak thank soon. you.